0: Welcome to the Perfect First Layer Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we answer questions from you, the 3D printing community. My name is Guy from Guy's Shop, and as always, are my co-hosts, JJ and Nathan. Hello. Hello. And we do depend on your questions, and thanks, everybody, for all the questions they sent in. Um, if you have one for our panel, so please go to perfectfirstlayer.com and go to the submit page and send it along. We also have a Patreon, and right now we only have one level and we're simply asking for a small donation to help keep this podcast going. So please go to patreoncom slash perfect first layer. So JJ, what do you got going on in the lab right now?
1: Nothing huge. I took a break over Thanksgiving week and now kind of getting back into the swing of things, starting, looking forward to some Christmas prints ahead. And uh, yeah, that's, Nothing super exciting around here.
0: No. What do you have any like uh, <laughs> super exciting Christmas prints planned?
1: Uh, just snowmen, Christmas, Christmas ornaments and uh, snowflakes. You know, the basic things.
0: I actually did a couple last year on my Ender 3 V2 where I made these little snowmen that you could like print out the, the, scarf separately and the hat separately and the eyes separately and all that stuff separately so you can get like different colors and just glued them all together. So yeah they're they're actually pretty uh, cool.
1: The one by uh 3D Printy, I think. It, it um, could
0: be, I don't know. I saw
1: he released a new design on uh it was Penguins, I think. So Yeah, I'll, I saw that. I'll have to try that one out.
2: I saw that. That was the original multicolor printing.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah but that, that kind of stuff is cool it makes it it, it makes it accessible for everybody
1: yeah very simple yeah. to do yeah fun yeah. prints
0: so nothing else that's it uh
1: nothing uh no new i mean no new printers <laughs> or anything showed up this week so yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> nothing too exciting yeah what about
0: you nathan
2: well, I've been doing my Shiltacular Black Friday videos, <laughs> where I tell you what to buy. Please click the affiliate links.
0: Please click the affiliate links. How do they work for you? Uh,
2: pretty well. Um, what as well as you know, videos can. Yeah. I think yeah. my my second one that I made wasn't too popular. The uh, Nathan's favorite things, which went over everything non three D printer related that I enjoy. So oh, like yeah. this microphone and these headphones and all the stuff I use around my office and studio. Um, I know there was
0: one video that I started to watch. I didn't watch the whole thing, sorry. I started to watch I was like, this is Nathan, I'm recording this at midnight.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That was (laughs) the... Oh uh,
0: gosh, I'm done.
2: That was actually kind of one more fun thing that happened last week. So FL Sun released their S1. Yeah, yeah. What's the other one? T1 3D T1 printers. t S1, yeah. Mm, yeah. Those things look crazy. And uh, the original launch website that they published showed some renders, and they were like, this can print a Benchy in seven minutes and 50 seconds. And then they showed like a poorly rendered 3D model of it happening. <laughs> and everyone was like, <laughs> uh, I'm not so sure if this is actually doing what they're claiming. But then well, the next day, they came out with the the full proof, which showed the video of it running. Here,
0: here's a question I have: What kind of? Uh, uh, and I'm not an engineer like you, but you know we've talked about before the the volumetric flow rate of machines. So if you got something moving a thousand millimeters per second at that kind of type of acceleration, doesn't the the hot end have to be able to? Be able to yeah. uh, to move that amount yeah. of plastic through it.
2: Yeah, that's probably the most exciting part of that design. So we'll see what they can actually do. So they claim like hundred fifteen or so cubic millimeters per second, oh which my. is yeah, that's about four times higher than the max flow rate that you can expect out of a bamboo lab hot end, which is kind of like the gold standard at this point. Um, mm-hmm. so four times faster. Uh, we'll have to see how they're doing that. I'm really curious. <laughs> I, I just
0: been... I just finished building my Voron 2.4, and I did some of the speed tests on it, and it's got the the Fetus Rapido Ultra High Flow with all that jazz on it. And thank you very much for helping me uh, obtain that, Nathan. Yeah. Um, I didn't want the hot end to be a a bottleneck for anything I tried to do, and it it came in at like 35 millimeters per second. So you're saying that those are going well over a
2: hundred? Well, I'm saying that they're saying, we'll have to- They're saying that you're (laughs) saying,
0: okay, I get it, I get it. I'll
2: have to verify it, but um, it's entirely possible to get that high of flow rates in bursts. So like, let's say you want to do a quick print move and then move to another location, do another quick print move. Uh, And that allows you to pre-melt the entire chamber so um, I don't know if there's a easy analogy for this, but it basically if you're continuously pushing it through, then you're having to to melt like continuously. But if you're you know loading that filament into the hot end and it has time to melt the entire thing thoroughly, and then you can like squirt it out like a syringe. Um, mm-hmm. Since it's all already mm-hmm. melted, you can hit higher instantaneous flow rates. But usually you're talking about like continuous volumetric flow rates when you're talking about those metrics. Yeah. You're you're going to say
0: something, JJ.
1: Yeah. uh, I was just, whenever all these new printers come out with these crazy fast flow rates and speeds, uh, usually I, or I have this idea for a video to compare everyone's, every printer's stock profile. Right. Cause every printer's stock profile is like a 30 to 35 minute benchy. And that's what you're really going to be printing at. Cause these are all like custom sliced, fine tuned in G code for every machine. Um, it just feels like every, co- every company is kind of cheating, putting these yeah. like fancy low numbers on it.
0: I, I, do, to- I do remember when the FL sun what was at the V 400 first came out and that was actually moving at the speeds they claimed it was. And that, got a lot of people talking about that remember
2: that mm. i didn't i don't uh, remember that one i didn't really cover the fl sun printer too much back okay. then because it was kind of in the shadow of the bamboo lab x1c mm. coming out. but now they're like you know what we're not letting that happen again we're just gonna <laughs> double it triple <laughs> it whatever yeah that's
0: that's impressive speed if if they can get you know three quarters of that 75 percent of that It's still really impressive. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: And Delta, theoretically, can move really quickly. Uh, I think their flow rate will be an interesting challenge to see if they can do it.
0: But how do you get that kind of... The only way I can think of... I mean, plastic only melts so much. You have to... Uncork the nozzle, so to speak, you have to make it a big mm-hmm. nozzle. It can't be this little point point four thing. it's got to be much larger for that amount of plastic to flow through it, correct?
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. just to go into the physics involved, there's two main limitations. so one is uh, like when you're pushing fluid through an orifice, it's just like you can do the the physics calculations to see how much force is required that you need to push on the, uh, the filament in order to maintain a certain flow rate through the nozzle. So like, there's extruder force limitations, but then there's also melt rate limitations, like how fast you can actually liquefy that plastic. And if it's not fully liquid by the time it gets to the nozzle exit, um, it acts like a cork because you literally have a solid object butting up against where the filament is supposed to exit the nozzle
0: it's It's like so. pushing a gallon of water through a straw versus a fire hose
2: right. That's the yeah. first type of limitation. Then the yeah. other type is like you know you've you have something solid blocking the nozzle, which will completely stop any flow yeah. so and
1: the whole uh thermal con- uh thermal transfer has to be optimal um and whatever plastic you're using the certain p l a pluses can move better or a b s seems to flow better at these higher flow rates um
0: so i guess what you guys are saying is that they're not taking the
2: stock hot end out of an ender three and putting it in there no probably not yeah (laughs) maybe they're heating it to like 400 c that might do the trick yeah
1: like abs at 300 celsius would flow really well
2: I remember when I I got I
0: first got my bamboo. I was, you know, amazed at how high the temperatures were. I think the PLA was at like two forty, and ABS was at like two seventy or something. Yeah, that's pretty high. I think it was that. I I may be mistaken. My memory is not as good as it used to be, but that's possible. Somewhere around there. Mm -hmm.
2: Um, So they're using like stainless steel nozzles. I don't know if any of their stock printers have brass nozzles.
1: Do they? I don't know. I don't think so.
2: I think they're stainless steel and then hardened steel. Hardened steel. Yeah. Which Neither of those have particularly good thermal conductivity, but they can get around that by, uh, you know, just overheating it a little bit. Like you're saying, Mm -hmm. the only situation where that can really backfire is if you're printing slowly and the, the filament has a lot of time to dwell and, fully reach those temperatures that you're setting. But, uh, you know, when you're, that's why you build a high-speed printer that if it never slows down, you never get to a point where like it'll heat up all the way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, it's just, it's just very interesting. I just remember all the conversations we've had about this and it always comes down to the volumetric flow rate. Am I saying that right? Yeah. 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 And, uh, anyways. I just, I just thought it was interesting when I saw them advertising those speeds. I'm like, how are they going to reach that volumetric flow rate? <laughs> can I say VMF or volumetric flow VFR?
2: I, I've thought of some funny uh, abbreviations, but we can go over those after the show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why not now? Our, our, want... people listening to the show do like to laugh,
2: Nathan? Uh, no, they not in my experience.
0: Oh, okay. All right.
2: all right.
0: So we do have some questions. Do you guys want to take some?
1: Yeah, let's get into it.
0: All right. So this first question comes from Josh. And Josh has uh, sent us questions before. Thank you so much, Josh. So he says, hey, guys. First of all, thanks so much for the podcast. I really enjoy the ma- banter and the in-depth analysis you guys offer. With MMUs or multi-material units, I think that's what it stands for. Being so popular, and with Bamboo, Bamboo Labs' intro into the market with the AMS, I was immediately intrigued at the ability to hit a button and generate a multicolor print. However, in looking into it, I noticed the waste it was producing, and just can't bring myself to pull the trigger on one and contribute to what or contribute to that waste pile. I'm curious if you guys had any thoughts on how you design an AMS-like unit that would be able to run out or turn out a multicolor print all the while producing minimal waste to no waste, or is it just something that is unavoidable? Thanks again for the great content, Josh. I thought that was a really good question. We've never really covered waste coming out of these, you know, the AMS or the MMU. Um, So what, what do you think JJ?
1: Yeah. So there's a few different ways to tackle this. Um, uh, Either multiple printer heads, like an IDEX unit um, to switch between colors or the AMS where they fully have to using a single nozzle and just swapping between filaments And that is going to need a little bit more purging. I think with the AMS units that I've used, there are really optimal practices that you can use to reduce filament waste. Like I've had the AMS light on the A1 mini and have really had minimal waste on it because I don't print four different colors on the same print um, unless I'm swapping for a single layer change i don't know I yeah
0: can, can i ask you a question mm-hmm. so yeah. like i said i know you print a lot of quote-unquote tchotchkes type yeah. things but that's cool I, I dig it um do you take a look at each one of those and say well okay this one's multicolor. i'm going to print it in three colors four colors two colors or no colors based on the amount of waste it's going to produce. Does that, does that help form your opinion of whether or not you're going to print something a certain way?
1: Yes. Yeah. I I really do look at it because if you print something fully in three different colors, you can have over twice as much waste as you do in the printed object at the end. Print
0: itself. Yeah.
1: Really easily. Um, and so I very much try to avoid that because it's like, well, I could print two of these things if I just minorly tweak how I'm slicing this. And but
0: But it doesn't look the same.
1: But you can make something just as good. <laughs> like so many things are if you just change the top layer to it, then the text will be a different color than the main print yeah. or change a few different object slices in there.
0: I'm just playing devil's advocate. No, I'm, not, yeah, I'm yeah. not trying to be <laughs> argumentative, but yeah. I am trying to be argumentative. Um, <laughs> so we were talking before about like the the Christmas prints. I said I was printing out these snowmen last year that had the scarf was one color. The hat was one color. The snowman was obviously another color and you put it all together. Now the the benefit with something like an AMS or an MMU or whatever the hell you want to call it, um is that you don't have to mess with any of that. You just hit a button and print it out. Mm -hmm. Is it worth saving the extra time assembling and putting it together just to be able to do it all at
1: once? Depends on the design. I think Um, if it's already designed by someone else to be printed in multiple colors and glued together, um, why not Why not use that to your advantage yeah that a little bit of super I've got a few bottles of super glue around and you put one <laughs> dot and attach those two colors together really easily
0: yeah.
1: um, I would kind of enjoy that versus, what do you think about
0: all this Nathan
1: yeah well I think there's never any
2: reason to print more than two colors <laughs> okay uh, I mean elaborate please like industrial IDEX printers only have two colors and really it's so you can print two materials so you can have your structural material and your support material. Mm -hmm. And anything more than that is just, um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of frivolous to me. It's like, do I really need a five colored print? Like
0: again, playing devil's advocate. I, I believe I may be mistaken because I have been mistaken before twice that I'm aware of. But I believe that most of our listeners are hobbyists.
2: So mm-hmm. this is a very relevant question to them. Right. Well, I mean, painting is a hobby, too. <laughs> I'll, I'll Fair, get enough. A, Fair enough. Fair my, enough. My main issue, I think, is with the amount of material waste that it produces and the extra time and the extra wear and tear on your machine and extra you know, cost and filament, you run out of filament more often. Like, there's a lot of downsides, but there's also a lot of solutions to the problem. So, like, one is purge to a material, uh, purge the material to an object. So, if you have some kind of secondary object, you can just make a, a double and then yeah, all the, your print the, material the purge around. tower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty good solution. And that way you can do multi material printing and then you get an extra that looks kind of interesting. Don't don't, don't
0: some of these um, slicers put the waste material, the purge material into
2: the infill? Um, I think some of them do. Yeah. And you can definitely put it into the support too. So there's, there's ways around it. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. In bamboo, you can do a purge into infill and purge into supports. Um, And in general, I've found turning off the purge tower for the things that I do, at least, it has minimal loss in quality um, yeah. to turn off the purge tower, and you save a lot of material doing that.
2: Yeah, I, would, I, I don't quite understand why it does the pooping and the purging, like the purge yeah. tower. Yeah, purge think it's...
0: and poop. It sounds like a disease almost. <laughs> yeah.
1: For like extreme color changes, I could, and you want if you wanted the crispest lines switching between like a black and a white filament uh, and you wanted it to be perfectly looking great. Sure. You could waste that much filament, but in general, you don't need it to do all that.
0: From, from my perspective, like I said, which is a pure hobbyist level.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um, I have an AMS and the reason I got an AMS is not necessarily, and I've talked about this before, was not necessarily for multicolor printing. It was just so I didn't have to walk the 50 feet out to my garage to change filament colors. I can just have four different colors in there or several different types of filament and just hit a button and not really have to mess with it. There are a couple times where I have had, I don't want to say a need, but a want to print multicolor. And it mostly has to do with uh, putting a print in there and then you have the numbers or lettering in a different color. Yeah. It can actually be achieved by different layer heights, but sometimes it can't be achieved by different layer heights. I was printing this one thing and the the uh, the letters were actually vertical instead of on the horizontal plane. So they were on the Z axis instead of the Y and the X axis. So it took a lot of purging and changing colors and all this other just to print out those letters in the z-axis but then again it's like okay i really wanted this thing so it wasn't a big deal does that make sense and the time wasn't an issue because i just started it before i went to bed
2: yeah that's true um i i definitely Mm -hmm. think that's why i say two colors is the most that you ever need just because from my use cases Uh, just what Guy is talking about of having indicator numbers or uh, like a warning like lettering on there. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty useful from a practical standpoint. So two colors is pretty good. Um, But the other way that I would like to think about this is if you could, like, let's just say your office printer that you print documents on. Um, If you did a distribution of the number of colors that you use on any of your prints, it would probably look like, you know, black and white is going to be your most common color uh, type of print. And then like a lot less than that, um, you'll have maybe black and white with some red highlights for some kind of markup. And then you get to the crazy area where you're printing images that require tons and tons of colors.
0: Yeah. Um, Uh, Just to to backtrack on something you mentioned before of printing out, the support material in a different type of filament. I know there's actually support material, which is made out of PVA glue. and We don't want to talk about glue again. And it's <laughs> made out of PVA. But I have seen videos where guys are printing PLA and then making the supports out of PETG because yeah. PETG doesn't stick to PLA. And the temperatures are almost close enough where it doesn't cause all kinds of errors and warnings to come up. Let me ask you this. Have either of you guys ever had a need, not a want, but a need to print something where the supports are a different type of filament, a support material or PETG? I
2: always design around needing to have a different support material. But if I, if I could i would design things differently to use that capability
0: but again i'm going to pose the question again have you
2: ever had a need
0: to do that
2: the i answer mean would be no well i don't know about that because <laughs> <laughs> do, do you have a need to have a 3d printer
0: yeah well I, I again you know uh, so you're being argumentative. Don't argue with me. Nathan.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I uh, don't argue with you. Do you uh, need to argue? <laughs>
0: so, but I guess what I'm saying is, it, it, there are times when I find, and I, I appreciate what you're saying. You know, I'm, I need to print this thing, so I'm, and, but I'm designing it, so I'm going to design it to print a certain way on the printer. But there's times when, you know, most of the time for me, anyways, I don't design my own stuff. I'm just downloading it and I look at it I go, how the, you know, the, after a couple of years now, I look at something before I do anything. I say, how the hell am I going to print this thing?
2: Right. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. having, having soluble support material allows you to print literally any geometry that you want. Um, like with no restriction on like overhangs or anything. Correct. Like, uh, mm-hmm.
0: But my my question was that you guys have been doing this a lot longer than I have. Have you ever found, not on your own designs, let's remove that from the table, but anything you've downloaded, have you ever felt a need to print in two different materials because of supports?
1: I have not because I feel like tree supports come off so easily. Yeah. Like when they're tuned in at all correctly, uh, they just, they come off really well. Um, And so I just don't need it to be in a different material and thus come off even easier. It's just a, no, it works great. You just use tree supports. I think a lot of
0: the slicers now, they have the, you can really uh, fine tune a lot of the supports and even the normal supports. The stuff comes off. The support material just pops right off now. Yeah. It seems like you're going to say something, Nathan. I'm sorry.
2: Um, yeah, I think probably the big constraint would be what level of quality is acceptable for you. So, like, yeah. I was interviewing Flashforge, and they were showing off their wax jet 3D printer that uses soluble support material to print things for the jewelry industry, and they mm-hmm. need like really small details, and they can't have like chunks of you know filament dangling down or anything. Yeah. So for them, the value of having that higher print quality is worth the investment that's required to get that print quality. But Mm -hmm. for hobbyists especially, like I'm not gonna pay an extra $1,500 plus like an extra $500 per spool just so that I can get that last little increment of print quality. Mm -hmm. I think for most of us, having a little bit of drooping on the undersides is not that big of a deal.
0: Yeah, I actually have a friend of mine Uh, I I have a friend of mine that does make custom jewelry as a hobby and he's been toying with the idea of, you know, the, the the lost resin casting stuff and things like that to, to to do his jewelry because the molding all that gold and everything, you know, all that gold. I shouldn't say it that way, but, but, make that stuff in the rings there's a lot of filing and buffing and polishing that goes into making something that small that's very detailed work and 3d printing solves a lot of those problems for me we've, we've had a couple mm-hmm. conversations yeah. about it so i i can see where that would be a need not a want mm-hmm. right that makes sense
2: and even the difference between uh resin-based process where you're printing out those like tree supports that kind of cling on to your parts and you have to break them off. And then mm-hmm. you've got those little bumps left over on your model and something like a multi-material system, like the wax jet with the soluble wax. Um, you get like a perfectly clean surface all around on one versus on a resin printer. Since everything has to be made out of the same material um, you end up having to do post-processing on every single item you produce. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, how much post-process is is acceptable and how much um, is that worth to you to have that little bit of extra quality from a soluble support. Mm -hmm. It's a good
0: point. It's a good point.
2: I don't see it being necessary for me uh, unless, you know, I'm doing engineering work at a company that can afford it. Then uh, that would be kind of fun.
0: Are you saying you're Mm -hmm. expensive?
2: Well, um, I guess if if you're doing engineering work, that's expensive. So
0: the the reason I'm sorry I paused there for a minute because I had another question here. You you brought up a a point of post-processing, Nathan, Mm -hmm. which is another subject we haven't talked a lot about. Um, And this question comes from James and one of the things he's talking about in this is post-processing. So I'm going to bring that up right now. He says, I've read a little bit online about various methods of post-processing of plastic prints to improve strength. Now, this isn't what we were talking about, but it kind of is. Toughness and reducing voids. I understand there is a way to use a type of salt that is packed tightly around a print to maintain its shape. And then the print is annealed at high heat. Have you guys tried this? And if so, what was your experience? To me, it sounds like a great idea, but most things, the devil is likely in the details. So I've watched a couple, you know, I I talk about, we all talk about Stefan from CNC Kitchen. He does great technical videos. I've learned so much from his stuff, but he's done a couple of videos on annealing and salt processes and all. Have you guys ever done anything like that?
2: I haven't personally. I've watched the video, though. And uh, (laughs) just a funny note, I saw someone like really complaining and digging into Stefan in the comments like, he didn't use the right type of salt. It wasn't fine enough. Of course it ended up bad. (laughs) You know,
0: if I had a dollar for every time somebody complained in my comments on YouTube, I'd I'd have a couple bucks anyways. Have you done anything like that? JJ?
1: No, I haven't. And it's one of those. uh, So I got some, the metal filament from Proto pasta. I remember that. Um, And so many comments on every one of those videos saying this filament is supposed to be annealed, which it's not this, the, the filament is not designed to be some, there are some metal filaments that you're, it's designed to be like put it in an oven and you melt away the plastic and you've got a solid metal part afterwards the proto pasta one is not designed for that
0: can can for somebody that is not familiar <clears throat> with the process can either one of you guys explain what annealing is
2: yeah um so annealing is when you take a part and you just heat it up and hold it at a temperature so that the internal stresses can be relieved usually is the, mm-hmm. okay so, so it, ma- it
0: makes it stronger yeah or it increases the the strength between the layers right
2: um And the main thing is that uh, you're basically just heating it up enough that the internal stresses can just relieve themselves. Um, (laughs) Yeah.
0: I'm not going to go there.
2: (laughs) Right. So you can imagine like if you, some prints are curled when you're done printing them and it's like, okay, why is it kind of dished up like that? Mm. That's because there's some stress built up and stored inside of the part. But by annealing it, you're heating it up to the point where um, it almost liquefies it, like you're just getting to the point where it's about to melt. But that allows those molecules to realign and move to an equilibrium position. Hmm. So it, it really, like a, it,
0: it really well, doesn't make the, the, the piece harder on the outside or anything like that. What it does is really strengthen the bond between the layers.
2: Yeah, it does that um, as like, a. there's like several things that it does, but that's one okay. of them. Um, the, is this a
0: scientific fact or is this just what yeah, people this are is, surmising?
2: This is well-studied. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and to get to get into the most kind of more complicated part of this, um, some materials are annealed to recrystallize the polymer, like PEI or uh, Ultim, they usually call it. You can print it and then you put it in an oven and bake it or whatever. And uh, it'll change its crystal structure and like become clear. And like, you can see it happen or maybe it Mm. goes from clear to to hazy when you're done with the process.
0: What kind of of temperatures does that have to to go at though?
2: Well, I think you can do something similar to PLA at lower temperatures, like if 80 C, Um, but with PEI and the, like the engineering grade, polymers i think this happens at like 200c
1: or around there okay
0: jj do you have anything to add to that
1: that was really cool a good uh engineering <laughs> <lesson>. oh
2: yeah <laughs> yeah if you, you want to see crystallization awesome. happen at home uh a really common plastic is hdpe it's what milk jugs are made out of oh yeah when you heat that up it turns clear because it's crystalline and it's like uh nor- natural state but when you heat it up it uh it becomes an amorphous material so it it's clear at that point so you can uh, physically yeah. see it changing
0: now i uh actually yesterday i'm going to promote something is that okay yeah yesterday gonna... i actually uh posted a video my video of the review of the Chidi Tech x plus 3 X3 plus, whatever the hell it is, Yeah. the medium-sized one. And I don't go a lot into it because I don't know a whole hell of a lot about it, but it's got an actively heated chamber. And again, I'm going to bring up Stefan with CNC Kitchen, where he talks a lot about how the heated chamber, just that extra 20 degrees or so that you're getting in the actively heated chamber versus... What you just get from, you know, heat soaking the bed inside an enclosed printer, how much that adds to the strength of the piece. So that's a type of annealing is what you're saying, Nathan.
2: Right. It's uh, a part that's printed in an actively heated chamber won't need to be annealed as much. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because the whole point of annealing is, I mean, one of the main points of annealing is to deal with those internal stresses. Yeah. And to yeah. improve
1: interlayer bonding. Can and the that stresses done? are caused by differences of temperature of like the print you're printing on top of has already cooled down yeah. and you're putting hot material mm-hmm. onto cold material and annealing would minimize those stresses. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's just like and giving it a t-
2: massage and it's all relaxed afterwards. So it's, it's yes. just like normalizing
0: yeah. the temperature between the different layers.
2: Yeah. 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 Yes. Um, Maybe, yeah, you, yeah kind, kind of, of, kind of, <laughs> kind of.
0: It's I'm just like to simplify things because <laughs> I, I, I've I, only got the IQ of a rock, so
2: I think these are. I mean, I'm out of engineering school, I have been for a while, but uh, <laughs> these are the type of things that you'd learn about there. All right. that's fair.
1: Basically, back to the original question uh, none of us have done annealing and you probably don't need to.
0: Okay. Well, y'all you know, is also asking about post-processing. Yeah.
1: I, yeah, yeah. Post-processing. Process-
0: yeah. Go, go ahead and share your your thoughts. Oh, on, yeah. Yeah. On I've that. done a bunch of, Charging.
1: uh, like sanding and polishing. Mm-hmm. I learned a ton about sanding and polishing with the metal filaments from proto pasta. Um, they sell a pack of s- polishing paper. um, which goes a lot higher than regular sandpaper. Um, and just a bunch of, it, it takes what? forever. It takes didn't, forever to sand.
0: Didn't you use like copper or was it brass?
1: So it was uh copper, brass, steel, and iron. Wow. And maybe uh, a fifth one.
0: I imagine the brass would be the easiest to sand.
1: Um, the softest. They're all mostly plastic still uh-huh. so they're all pretty similar polishing wise. okay um, I think they're 50 to 60 percent plastic still so 40 to around 40 percent 30 to 40 percent metal maybe if I'm remembering correctly. I remember seeing
0: a video I can't remember who did it but they they talked about they were doing the copper one. Mm -hmm. and the the copper oxidized and it turned that really cool greenish gray color
1: yeah it looked like
0: real metal afterwards
1: it was kind of pretty neat. yeah i've got a bunch of real rusty pieces on my desk cool i think this is jj cube yes um and it smells like iron after you're (laughs) done with it it leaves that rusty smell on your hands so, it's so kinda...
0: the, the post-processing, post, post-processing you're doing with that was mainly just the sanding.
1: Surface level. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bunch, yeah, of, yeah. bunch of sanding. Um, I haven't done a lot, man.
0: I, yeah. I, I, I think the only time I really needed to do it was a couple of times I've done some resin prints. And that can leave some really nasty finishes where the, mm-hmm. the supports are underneath. And I've sanded those back, but it sands so easy. It wasn't a big deal. It was mostly flat stuff. I've never done like models or anything like that. And like Nathan, a few of the the pieces that I have uh, designed myself, I really paid attention to how it was designed and how it would sit on the bed so I didn't have to use a lot of supports. Have you done a lot of post-processing stuff, Nathan?
2: The most I'll do is flame polishing. So just get a torch out and blow it over the part, and that'll kind of melt the outside layer, which mm-hmm. will do a, a little bit of annealing as well and improve <laughs> layer bonding. had a, a lot of melting. <laughs> yeah, a melting. <laughs> I mean, if you're just melting the very surface, it's not going to deform it too much. But if you if you put too much torch on there, it'll definitely cause some bad side effects.
0: I, I'm sure you guys have seen the videos where they've, they've taken like ABS and they've put it... Uh, an acetone, or actually the fumes from the acetone mm-hmm. will help smooth
1: out the layer lines. Yes. Yeah, yeah and that I, seems
2: like a lot of work.
1: <laughs> I, I ordered some acet. or I have some acetone that I've ordered specifically for trying that. And then at Murph, I was actually able to talk to someone who'd done some that really looked well. Uh, so, got a few tips from him of how not to overdo it, was a uh-huh. big. I feel like a lot of times people overdo the acetone and the print looks melted afterwards. Um, And he was like, you put it in a metal bucket outside and you put the print in there for like 15 seconds and then go at it with a, like a leaf blower to blow out the rest of the fumes. So it doesn't get over uh, contaminated with the acetone.
2: And then you get an ignition source (laughs) and, Light the whole thing on fire, and then they use your flame polish. See, act. I've
0: yeah. I've been I've been using acetone for years, and it hasn't affected my brain at all. <laughs> um, actually, I have acetone. I, I buy it in gallon cans, and I go through quite a bit of it. And it's mostly for finishing.
1: Um, for what do you use it for? Finishing
0: uh, for acetone wood is wood. acetone is a solvent for lacquers.
1: Okay.
0: So, so um, cleaning? No, it's a solvent for lacquer. So in other words, you like latex paint, you thin with water, mm. you thin lacquer
1: with acetone. With acetone. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah.
0: It's a sol- It's an actual solvent. Mm-hmm. It's the thing that dissolves the, the chemicals.
1: Into it. Yes. Uh, yep. Yeah.
0: Um, so that and cleaning quite a bit mm. it, it it really cleans things a lot lot better in my opinion than ipa yeah um anyways i've never done the abs thing yeah i guess i should try it sometime and see if it works
1: seems like a fun thing to try All right. i know
2: they do a lot of vapor smoothing for sla processed parts but that's a lot easier for them to do because the SLA is like the powder-based uh, oh, nylon okay. printing. Oh, yeah. Those have like a rough sugar cube kind of texture, and then they can vapor smooth it pretty easily. And it makes it watertight, so that's a, a real oh. functional part of that. Oh, you yeah. know,
0: the whole watertight thing, I I, I actually tried that out because my wife wanted a container for when we went on our trip to to put some stuff in. I'm like, well, the stuff isn't watertight. She's like, can you make me this container for this stuff? And I'm like, well, it's not watertight. So I actually made this little container and I tested it and I put water in it. And it sat for like two weeks Nice. And nothing yeah. came out of it. Right. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing dehydrated. It stayed at the same level. It was like, okay,
2: is that a, is that a, a, a fallacy? Uh, I just think it it probably has to do with like what level of reliability you want on that.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Like, do you want to be a hundred percent sure it's waterproof or like 90% sure?
0: Well, this stuff wasn't this, this container I made, I should, I should qualify it. The container I made, it wasn't like one millimeter thick. It was like an eighth of a millimeter or an eighth of an inch. So it was like three millimeters thick. Right. So it wasn't done in vase mode at point, you know, three or point four. It was thick. It had, mm-hmm. you know, infill and every, or layer lines and everything else. It was decent as far as the outside and inside walls go. Um, but it worked well. I didn't have any problems with it.
2: Yeah, I've used, yeah. Uh, I've actually used 3D printing for making uh, leak test equipment. So like uh, they'll like pump air inside of an electronics enclosure and see if the air is escaping anywhere.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And it actually works all right. Um, that, but it, it usually is not airtight. Like watertight is relatively easy to achieve compared to airtightness. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you if you need airtightness, then that's definitely something you can look at.
0: We're really getting off in the
2: weeds here, guys. <laughs> yeah. So
0: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask another question. I think we still have time. Is that okay?
2: Yeah, let's do yeah. it.
0: Okay. This question, I thought this was a really good question. This comes from... From Paul. And it says, Hey, guy, I've been following you on Woodshop Life for years. That's my other podcast, in case anybody's wondering. The Woodshop Life on iTunes. <laughs> and I got my new 3D printer a couple of weeks ago and I signed up as a Patreon of this podcast. Thank you so much, Paul. I appreciate it. So, Paul asked us asks actually about three or four questions. And there's one question here as I, I really liked because we've never, this, Another thing we've never covered on the show. He said, I'd like to include some threads on printed parts so I can connect them using bolts. When I try to print my parts, threads are not clean enough to use. I designed them 0.01 proud to leave room for the bolt. I'm printing them with the bolt going through the Z axis, but the results aren't great. Any suggestions or reference to sources to get this figured out? That's actually a big question, but I don't know if it's that complicated or not. JJ, what do you think? So
1: I use Blender. (laughs) JJ rolls his eyes and
0: goes, oh no, I'm first. (laughs) No, no, no. I'll tell you how I do it.
1: (laughs) So I use Blender as my 3D modeling thing um, and have learned most of my... Uh, the CAD-like Blender stuff from the YouTube channel Maker Tales. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he rebranded recently to Keep Making. Uh, But basically, he has some good plugins for Blender for adding in exact uh, threads into your 3D models. Um, A few plugins for Blender to make CAD-like modeling easy.
0: So, in, in, in reference to his question, you know, he's he's doing them in the z-axis or the up and down, mm-hmm. the vertical. Yeah, I would think that would be the way to do it.
1: Yes, that's how I would prefer it done. If on I both had... the
0: threads, on both sides, both the yes. male and the female.
1: Yeah, the male um,
0: and the female.
1: Yes, both both ends should be, I think, optimally on the z-axis. Af- Okay. I'm not sure exactly how much proud you need to make them, off the top of my point head. 0.01
0: is pretty tight.
1: That's pretty tight.
0: These yeah. printers
1: aren't. I would go for point 0.1 or point 0.5, maybe.
0: Yeah, I know when I've done inlay on the CNC, and you do the inner and the outer uh, reference points for the yeah. for, on the, the the tool path. I do 0.05 or five one thousandths of an inch. Yeah. And that's a little bit thicker than, let's say, a sheet of paper.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: that's still pretty tight. Yeah. Putting stuff in there. I 0.01 millimeters, if that's what he's saying is millimeters, that's even tighter.
1: Yeah. I don't
2: know if that's enough clearance. What do you think, Nathan? So how big are these bolts that we're talking about? Because uh, like if Don't you're know.
1: printing. Standard if, M3
2: we're going. Oh, yeah, M3. I'll I'll pretty much always just do 10% undersized. So for an M3, I would do a 0.27 millimeter hole. And then I'll mm. force the, the, like I'll thread something into it. And that'll cut the threads into there. And it works pretty well.
0: Let's say, yeah. let me uh, throw this out. Let's say you didn't want to cut the threads in. How much, let's say, forget 3D printing for a minute, and this Mm -hmm. is something you probably know, Nathan. Mm -hmm. How much tolerance is there between, let's say, a regular M5 bolt and the M5 nut to allow the threads to go into it?
2: Well, it's actually not that as precise as you would think it is because, Mm -hmm. like, if you loosen a bolt, you can feel the play. Yeah, that's the backlash. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. they can be designed to have quite a bit of extra space in there. What would you Um, say
0: is the minimum?
2: Well, in the context of 3D printing, like FDM printing, like we're talking about now, um, I think using machine bolts is kind of the wrong approach if you want to do printed threads. So something like a lag screw, like a woodworking screw that has larger um, threads, Mm -hmm. I think that you'd have a lot better luck of being able to directly screw something in there.
0: Because of the higher thread count or the lower uh, thread count?
2: Right, because the individual threads are larger so that yeah. your minimum feature size for your printer can actually produce them. All right. Versus, like, if you're like an M3 screw that has, like, I don't know, 20 threads per inch or 30 threads per inch, I, I'm mixing metric. And I, I don't whatever.
0: know. I don't know <laughs> what, the, what the number is.
2: Right, but I think it's about like 0. 0.8 or, or 1 millimeter between each thread. And if you're printing, if you're printing with uh, those layer lines just being that small, I, you just can't reproduce the actual geometry of the threads with the printer.
0: So you're saying with 3D printing anyways, and if you're printing something like an M3 or an M4 or M5, you actually want to make the hole smaller. Right. So you can actually help cut it in.
2: Yeah, and... Or you can make it bigger and put a threaded insert in, Okay, which is the other. That's here, here, I go,
0: here I go playing devil's advocate again. All right. So I'm going to talk about wood for a second. Let's say you're screwing together a board to another board. Okay. When you screw those together, the first board that you're putting the screw in, you do not want that screw to make contact with the hole at all. all right. You want that screw to completely clear anything and then when it goes into the second piece, then it cuts the threads and it pulls the other board into it right I would yeah. think because like when I've done stuff like i said, I just I just finished my voron there's a lot of times where I'm putting m three screws through holes into um threaded inserts inserts. And I I took a two millimeter drill and I drilled the holes out Mm. or a three millimeter bit or an eighth inch bit and drilled the holes out. So the the bolts, I didn't have to thread into the piece of plastic before it went into the threaded insert on the other side. And it really helped pull those things tight.
2: Yeah, definitely. So Uh when you're designing for anything that's bolted together, you want the (laughs) clamp up to occur. So one portion is going to be threaded and the other is going to be oversized mm-hmm. for the hole. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'll do 10% undersized for the one that needs the threading to go into it. Okay. And then I'll do 10% oversized for the one that just needs to be a through hole. Okay. Now that's
0: like, that—that's an important distinction, though.
2: Yeah. it's okay. That way it keeps it simple because then I'm yeah. I'm just doing plus or minus 10% and it's an easy rule to remember for me.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're going to say something,
2: JJ?
1: Yeah. Uh, it's another thing for a lot of the listeners who are new to 3D printing in general. Once you buy your first set of heat set inserts, it's a huge step forward into the 3D printing world. They, It's cheap. You can buy a $10, $10 pack on Amazon. And I was so resistant to doing it initially. <laughs> and then I bought it and I was like, oh, these are great. Like You just use your soldering iron. And you press them into your parts and boom, you've got metal threads on any of your parts you want. They're easy to install. They're cheap. They're just great. So Yeah, I, I
0: agree with you. It, it yeah. changes the whole dynamic yeah. of of what you're
1: doing. Um,
0: but there's, you know, just like anything else, there's cheap ones, there's decent ones. Yeah. There's but even cheap
1: ones are long. a good even way. Even cheap to get, ones are better people than who, just who want to get started. Yeah. It's. I would recommend someone buy a ten dollar pack from Amazon to get a few different sizes and mm-hmm. try them out. You know, yeah. um,
2: I've never had a threaded insert pull out. Like I, they're pretty strong.
1: Yeah, surprisingly, I have. Yeah, mainly, and
0: that's and it wasn't the threaded inserts fault. It was me not putting them in straight. But I've since uh, learned how to put uh, them yeah. in straight. Yeah. I, 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 mean, I found the easiest way to do it is to you heat them up. You know, there's people that they sell like these presses and all this. It's like, oh. yeah, I just you know, I just, so just put stupid. it on a
2: screw and hit it with a torch and press it in. And, I don't do that.
0: I have I have okay. a I have a I bought the 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 two dollar tip for my soldering iron. soldering iron tip. Yeah, yeah, and I put them on there. But I'll, I'll, if it's a flat surface, I just heat it up till it's. Just almost all the way in. And then I flip it over and smash yeah. it on my table and rub it like this. And it's like perfectly flat and perfectly straight. It's like no $30 I, press needed.
1: I just press it in until it's close and it's fine. Like, but I've, I've
0: been caught before. Where I'm trying to screw something in and it's off.
1: And it's a little it's, off. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's like, eh. But it's, it's brass. It's soft. I yeah. would say to anyone out there thinking about building one of those fancy jigs don't you probably don't need it it's fine
2: yeah my my tool is i just get a longer m3 bolt and then i'll thread (laughs) the thing onto it and hit it with a torch and the bolt has to be long enough that the heat won't transfer all the way to your hand by the time you're done working with it and press it in and wait for it to cool off and then unscrew it Um, or make sure it's straight while it's cooling down and then unscrew it don't so, you have a you yeah. have a
0: soldering iron? Don't you, Nathan?
2: Yeah, I do, but I like my torch. It's has more <laughs> fire, and torches are pretty <laughs> consistent. It, you just yeah. time it, like count to three, and uh, it'll be pretty much the same every time.
0: So I, I was talking before about building my Vorn, and I thought of you while I was building it, Nathan. Okay, because, because you wanted to was... throw it
2: out the window? <laughs> no,
0: no, because I was I was putting it together. And I was doing something and I had to put something next to my raspberry, actually my big tree tech pie that came with the kit. I had the power going and It was going. Oh, no. I shirted <laughs> it out and blew up my, my, my pie. Oh, so, no. Then, so I came in the house. I'm like, shit, excuse me, gosh, darn it. So I came in the house where I had a, 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 a Raspberry Pi. I had a Pi 4. I pulled it out, and I format it real quick. I threw it in there. And guess what happened within the next two hours?
2: You shorted it again. I, that one I blew that one out. Oh, no.
0: So I blew two of them out Oof. while trying to solder stuff while the machine was on.
1: Why? And I thought Why? of you
0: because, you know, you you not only do that, but you do it while the things are actually moving.
1: Right. You, sh- you should have filmed it. <laughs> yeah. You got to have the camera. Video content.
0: No, no. The good thing is nobody listens to this podcast, so nobody will know. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's, that.
2: that's something I learned at one of my first jobs. I was working in a robotics lab, and they said, anytime you turn the robot on, start the camera first. <laughs> because if it breaks, <laughs> we want to have at least something to show for it. Oh, my
0: God. All right. So I think that's going to do it for this episode. That was a really good conversation, guys. Uh, And thanks, everybody, for sending questions in. We could always use more. Having a backlog is always really, really good for us. So um, Nathan, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you if they're online?
2: I'm on YouTube. Just look up Nathan Builds Robots. And JJ?
1: I'm on YouTube. Just look for JJ Shankles.
2: All right. And if they want to email
0: us questions, what do they do, JJ?
1: Email us at perfectfirstlayer at Dot com.
0: All right. And I can be found at Guy's Shop on YouTube and Guy's Woodshop on most other social media venues. All right. <laughs> really good, guys. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Well, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. See ya.
1: Bye. Bye.